continue to worship our death-conquering king together with the reading of Scripture. Uh, We're going to read right now from Hebrews uh, chapter 2, but I also want you to be finding the Gospel of Luke chapter 16, because we'll spend some time there as well. Hebrews chapter 2 says something so awesome about the Lord Jesus. We'll begin reading in verse 14. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. So so Jesus has put on flesh and blood. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong death slavery. Let's pray together. Father, we look now to Jesus. We look now to Jesus. Through his death, he has destroyed the one who has the power of death. He's destroyed the power of the devil, and he's delivered all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Thank you for Jesus. Now we pray that We pray that you'd help us, need your help, to understand these things accurately. We're so prone in this life to to trivialize what's really serious and to make really serious things that are trivial. So I'm asking for help today that your word would find good soil in Jesus' name. Amen. Of course, you may be seated, and again, as a church family, our Easter week together is going to have a uniting theme of death is defeated. We could have used the word straight from Hebrews, death is destroyed. I'm pretty young when death, how serious it is, impacted my life in a significant way. I mean, I was 15 years old, and I showed up to the hospital to see my dad, who I thought was sick, and it turned out my dad had died. And, and all of our lives, in some way, shape, or form, have been affected by, by death. Maybe somebody that you care about deeply has died. Maybe, maybe for some of you, you're sort of like me in this instance, that there, there's about no limit on what you would give or spend to be able to have one more conversation, one more hour, one more day with somebody that you know and love who has died. Now, it's a weighty subject, of course, so weighty that we tend to just sort of set it aside. But this is the place to talk about these things. Can I get an amen? This is the place to talk about these things. I think I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, I did a funeral for my uncle. uh, And it was a church in Fayetteville that's been around for hundred and some odd years. And after the funeral was over, typically we get into a car and have the procession to the cemetery. For that church, it was a couple of steps. The cemetery was at the church. Now, there's a number of reasons why typically that's not done anymore. But my responsibility as a pastor is to prepare you for death. I've spent a lot of time in this room, and I've always loved this uh, center beam here. I know if you're streaming along, you can't see it necessarily, but... I often look up at that 
beam, and I, and I know I've used this illustration before, but if that beam were to signify or symbolize your existence from the start when you're born, my little Jenna, born March the 16th, your little start of your life, and then expanded. Now already, already, the Bible would teach us this is an inappropriate uh, illustration because there's actually no end, right? Your time on earth would be measured in what if this illustration we're using? How much time for your existence is spent in this life? And we couldn't get a pinpoint small enough to represent your existence. You little, 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 we got a scaffold. I've seen people use a scaffold in this room, and I'm just going to go on and tell you, I've never gotten on one myself. But I've seen people get a scaffold. Somebody hung that screen, Lord bless them, and got all the way up there and put a little dot. That would be too large to represent your life here. A vapor. So we want to be cautious and careful as followers of Jesus to ignore weighty matters. Because through death, he wants to destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. And one of the ways the devil wields that power is to get you sort of wrapped up in a life that's quickly passing. We even do this in churches. Start to overemphasize the things that will pass so very quickly. We've got to outline and want to follow along. We want to start with this observation. We, we, we try and deal with death in three ways. Either we deny it, we downplay it, or we really deal with it. And I'm, I'm learning to, to use Bible words for it. And the Bible uses the word death. He died. I didn't know this until this week. It was actually the founder of a false gospel who originated the phrase passed away because I often use that phrase. But he passed away. We'll see here in Luke 16. I want to use the words that Jesus uses. And he uses the word died. Michael Horton, an author I like to read, he said this, our advanced medical system, and we ought to be thankful it is an advanced medical system, but it can be dangerous he said, because it gives us the illusion that nobody should die. And whenever there's a natural disaster or pandemic, we immediately rush to place blame on medical professionals, the government or the media. And in our daily lives, we often assume that for some reason we should be exempt from the same illnesses that took down our forebears in less developed eras. We are terrified of the fragility of life and swing impatiently to grasp any Savior we can find. When these Saviors inevitably fail us, we immediately clamor for them to be held responsible. Well, we try to deal with death in one of three ways. We try to deny death, try to stay or look young. Somebody asks how old you are, do you answer them truthfully? Or do you change the subject, right? It's Nettie Spain, 100 years old this week, right? Oldest living member of our church family. So young in light of eternity. Barely getting started. Or we downplay death. Or we can deal with it. Of all the people 
who can deal appropriately with death. It ought to be those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ who has defeated death. So here's what's true of death. It's either the end of any smidge of goodness and blessing in your life or the end of any hint of suffering. We're going to see that here in Luke chapter 16. Death is defeated when the latter is true for you. Amen? When your death is the end of any and all suffering, you have in Christ defeated death. So Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse number 19, Jesus gives an account of two men who who died. He says this, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen who feasted sumptuously every day. Now you remember Jesus is telling this story in a culture, in a time, in a place where if they got one meal, they were doing better than most. So here's a man feasting. At his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I'm in anguish in this flame. Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things, and now he's comforted here, and you're in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. He said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. A powerful story, isn't it? It Teaches us a lot of things, and we'll start here, is that is that death comes to everyone. Death comes to, to everyone. There's two primary persons in the story. They're contrasted in their lives, aren't they? Here's a rich man. He's got more than enough to eat. Uh, the other man is poor, and he's barely got anything to eat. One man's feasting. The other man is famished. One lives in the lap of luxury. The other lingers in the pit of poverty. Hey, don't you think when uh, the rich man died, it was big news, right? L- likely his funeral is attended by important, influential people made the headlines. When the poor man died, it went unnoticed. In fact, I don't want to make too much of this. Uh, we're told specifically the rich man was buried. It may have been that the poor man, when he died, it might have been a little while before anybody even new. They have virtually nothing in common, right? Same geographical location, but far ends of the spectrum of society. But they both died. What Jesus says, the poor man died, the rich man also died. Ready for the uncomfortable truth? Or maybe it's a comforting truth. You're going to die. I know, we live in the culture. It's like, man, I don't want to think about it. 
But we should think about it. Next, we can tell from the account that things that are esteemed by so many in life are unimportant upon death. I quoted Adrian Rogers once already. I'll do it again. Adrian Rogers said, if you want to know what you really have in life, here's what you do. You add up everything you've got that money cannot buy and death does not take, and that's what you really have. Everything else is just fleeting. Remember last week from Jeremiah, let not the rich man boast in his riches. And here is exhibit A as to why we ought not. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of God. The Bible says the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Material wealth often blinds people to their spiritual needs. Jesus himself said it's difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And I know what many of us are already thinking, well, I'm not wealthy. But here's reality. If right now you've got a bed to sleep on, you're not asking if you're going to eat today. You're asking when am I going to eat today. You're wealthy in comparison to the world around us. Here's the danger of material wealth. It can bring a lot of benefits in this life, can't it? More money often means more influence. More money often means more people befriend you, in quotes. But, but not so much because of you, but what, what you have. You might notice this. Did you pick up on this in the story? One of them, of the two people, has a status and the other has a name. Did you notice that? What's the rich man's name? We don't know. What's the poor man's name? His name is Lazarus. The world will give you a status. The Lord will give you a name. Amen? The world will measure you by your status and begin to squeeze you into viewing other people on the basis of status. That's how selfishness and hatred, honestly, uh, work. Condition you to view people as statuses or, or titles. The rich man calls Lazarus by his name after death. Before he was just a poor man with sores at his gate. Hey friends, you love people by name. And also note the very thing that the rich man was known for in his life so quickly became the very thing that left him unprepared for death. Now, we should note the rich man does not have an eternity of separation from God because he was rich any more than the poor man goes into the presence of God because he was poor. It was a matter of the heart. It's what or who you love the the most. So here's a good theological question. If something keeps you from being prepared for death, it's not a blessing, it's actually a curse. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, or the mighty man in his might, or the wise man in his wisdom, but let him boast who boasts boast in this, that he knows and understands the Lord. We also can understand from this passage that your eternal destiny is fixed upon death 
Jesus is so clear in what he teaches, in the words that he uses here. Look in verse number 22. The poor man died, was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the end of his fingers in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in the flame. You see how death had flipped it? In life, the poor man wanted a crumb from uh, the rich man's table. In death, the rich man wants a drop from where Lazarus is. And then notice what Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he's comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. Has been fixed. Upon death, there's, there's no do-over. There's no reset button. This is important because we don't know when we're going to die. And as a pastor, I've seen it all sorts of ways. You know, I, I, know the, I know the criticism is that maybe sometimes in the past preachers have manipulated the fear of death for ungodly means. And, and in humility, I want to say I, I, I don't think I'm doing that this morning, but I understand the, I understand some things in history. I've seen people who are given a month to live that live another decade, you know. I've seen people in the absolute prime of life who got up on their last day believing they had thousands more. We, We just don't know. But what we can know from Scripture here is upon death, your eternal destiny is fixed. That's why it's important to be ready today. And the only way to really be ready to meet the Lord is that you've met Him in this life. You've loved Him in this life. Our eternal destiny is firmly fixed upon death. And and then, man, I really want us to pay attention to this. Next observation from the account is you, you can know how to be ready without actually being ready. You see what the rich man says? Do you notice that he knows who Abraham is? He doesn't say, um, hey, you, what's your name? It's Father Abraham. And, and, and in verse 30, he uses the exact right word. He said to him, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He's apparently familiar with Scripture. He likely knows the Ten Commandments. Friends, he knew about God, 
but he didn't know God. Do you know what I'm saying? Use an illustration. And, man, I, I grew up a big sports fan, and uh, there's nothing quite like, y'all just hang with me for a moment, there isn't anything quite like Duke and Carolina, right? You're never quite a sports fan like you are when you're 10, 11, 12 years old. I mean, that's just sort of the, you're all in at that point. And I had to, uh, got to grow up in a cul-de-sac where there were multiple guys about my age. And you're either Duke or Carolina or NC State. Or, uh, and, and when I was 10, 11, 12 years old, that was 1991, 92, 93. Now, if you know anything about Duke, Carolina, those were some years. Duke won the national championship in 1991 and 1992. Carolina won it in 93. Carolina was back in the Final Four in 95 after Duke had been in the national championship game in 94. Carolina was back in the Final Four in 97, 98. Still hurts me that they didn't win it in 98. Duke in the national championship game in 99. Carolina in the Final Four in 2000. Duke won it all in 2001. Carolina back in the national championship, winning it in 05 and 09. Duke winning it in 2010, 2015. Carolina the championship game 2016, winning the national title in 2017. And I think they played each other in this year's Final Four. I cannot tell you the number of hours I have spent watching them play. I know that I have probably in the last 20, 25, 30 years, I've seen them play each other in 90% of their games. I've gone to the NCAA tournament over at the PNC Arena here in Raleigh. I, I'm not going to do this, but I could stand for the next hour, recite all sorts of facts about the rivalry, the players. I've taken my children to the games at the Smith Center, and I've said, look up at those jerseys and those banners and let me tell you about them and then they play the fight song and I know the fight song I can name a hundred players at Carolina do you know how many players can name me zero do you know why because I'm a fan not a player I'm a spectator not a participator. Now listen to me. I've watched a thousand games. And as I watch those games, I am very liberal in the advice that I give. Hey, they, they should run the zone defense. Why isn't so-and-so playing? Can't believe Coach Smith. Can't believe Coach Woods. Can't believe Coach Dave. Why don't they do this? Made loud suggestions of what the coach should do, what the players should do, and not played a single minute. Listen to me very carefully. There is an eternal difference between being a spectator and a participator in the kingdom of God. There is an eternal difference between being a fan of Jesus and a follower of Jesus. Fans make suggestions about what Jesus should do, about what the church should do. Followers make disciples. Fans of Carolina might say, hey, they should go back to the four-corner offense like they used to run. But it's the players who put in the sweat, the hours, and the discipline to compete. So please hear me. You can spend thousands of hours in church. You can quote dozens of Bible verses. You can know all about God and not be ready for death. You want the best indicator? 
The best indicator if you're ready for death is not how well you'll do on a Bible trivia test. It is on how you treat your neighbor. What good does it do to know who Father Abraham is and not take one moment to extend mercy to the poor man at your gate? We started in verse 19. Look with me in verse 14 so we can understand who Jesus' audience and who he's talking to. Luke 16, verse 14, the Pharisees. You want to talk about some people who could quote the Bible. Man, to be a Pharisee, you had to have the book of Psalms memorized at minimum. But God's not who they loved. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things and they ridiculed him. Um, parenthetically if you're devoted to be a follower of Jesus you're going to get criticized you're going to get ridiculed and unfortunately sometimes that ridicule and criticism will come from the people that you thought were kind of on your team you know what I mean but but here's here's a Holy Spirit I think way of dealing with ridicule is whoever's ridiculing you you just simply ask what is it that they really love man we all need to be teachable we all need to receive counsel uh, sometimes I've had people who love me who came and confronted me with sin in my life or things that I was blind to, and I need that. But you're going to face a lot of criticism in your life, and if you're not careful, you'll get bogged down in it. Jesus is, Jesus is not concerned with pleasing the Pharisees. He's concerned with pleasing his Father. So he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your... Who sees the word? Hearts. Death and being prepared for death is a matter of the heart. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. God calls it abomination because this rich man lives for his riches and it leaves him in such a perilous situation. Let's also note together that those most likely to help us be prepared for death is what I mean, are most often ignored. Isn't it, cra- isn't it kind of crazy? Isn't it kind of crazy what gets attention in the world? I didn't actually do the research on this, but I'm guessing whoever has the most, let's say, Instagram followers, TikTok followers, Whatever the thing is now, I'm, I'm, I'm 42, I'm not, in, I'm, not, I'm not with it anymore. Do you think that that person is preparing all their followers for eternal priorities? Unlikely, right? Well, here's what I'm getting at. In mercy, God had sent somebody to help the rich man be ready, hadn't he? right at his gate can't even get any closer than that at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus we know from the full account 
Lazarus is ready. But he's covered in sores. He's hungry. He's sick. Can't even walk to the gate himself. He has to be laid there. The rich man saw him as an annoyance, not one to be listened to, but ignored. Isn't it crazy how in this world we're conditioned to ignore the very things that help us to be ready for death and give all our time and attention to things that are so very fleeting? I remember my freshman year of college. Man, college is, is any seniors in the room? College is High school seniors, college is a different deal. Let me just go on and tell you. I remember sitting in my first Spanish exam. I kind of knew I didn't know what I should know. But man, I, I just, I, there was a time in my life I was the king of winging it. You know what I mean? Like, we'll just show up. It's going to be, I'm this, the eternal optimist. I'm just like, we're, it's, it's going to be all right. I'm not going to, yeah, I should study. I should have gone to the lab. The, the, the professor said, if anybody got any questions, you can come see me here in my office. I mean, I, I did not lack for opportunity, but I'd gone through high school and I'd, I'd worked, but not a lot. And just winging it. And I sat there and here comes the test. And that test got on my and I wrote my name, and then I saw the test, and I had that moment, pit in my stomach. How do you say, uh-oh, in Spanish? I don't know. Uh-oh. I'm in trouble. It would be insane to know something is coming. Know it's coming. And not think about it, not prepare for it. The, the Bible doesn't say here that the rich man died, and that was it. Fade to black. He has an eternity now. And, and now, last, last point, the only way to be ready is to pay close attention to what God says in Scripture. Isn't that what Abraham emphasizes, the father of the faith? Beg you to send him to my father's house. I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses in the prophets. Let them hear them. No, Abraham. It's not good enough, Abraham. I had that. I just didn't pay attention to it. I, knew, I learned about it, but I didn't really learn from it. But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And of course, as Jesus is saying this, Jesus knows what is going to happen. He's going to rise from the dead. But Abraham said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Another um, foreshadowing that Jesus isn't separated from Moses and the prophets. They're, they're saying the same thing. All the Bible points to Jesus. Who is he? Now let's conclude where we started, and that's in Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Look at these verses together for a few moments. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. That's, that's the incarnation. John 4, he got tired, right? Wearied, 
thirsty, partook of the same things. That, that through death, he might destroy. So he's not only going to partake in flesh and blood, he's going to die. And friends, Jesus is the only person ever who chose to die. Some other people might have chosen when they died, but they didn't choose to die. They hadn't done it then, or it hadn't happened to them. Maybe they sacrificed himself, or what? Death is inevitable, but Jesus is sinless, and he chose to die. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. But notice what happens when Jesus died. That through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. Deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Well, now what does that mean? Maybe you're saying, I don't go through life enslaved to the fear of death. Well, how does it happen practically? Well, let's use the rich man as an example. What was he enslaved to? His riches. What is he doing every day? Feasting sumptuously every day. What does that mean? The, the rich man... Had he not been enslaved to the fear of death, that is, if he didn't go through life saying, I better hoard all of this for myself, I'm going to live it up and feast sumptuously, but rather trusted in the riches of God, not living for the idolatry of riches, Lazarus would get much more than a crumb here and there, and the rich man would have lived a joyful life of generosity while being ready for death. Does that make sense? Let's keep reading about Jesus. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. And we saw Abraham over in Luke 16, didn't we? Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Here was what said of, just said of Jesus. He's merciful, he's faithful, and he makes propitiation for our sins. Christ's death pays the penalty for our sins. His death is merciful towards us and faithful towards God the Father's holiness. Hey, can you look upon Christ crucified and see the wisdom of God? Maybe we'll ask it this way. If you could have a hundred million dollars and no more fellowship with Jesus. I mean, it's honestly. Which would you really choose? Which would you really say, I'll take that? Or, maybe your hang-up's not riches. Maybe you're, let not the mighty man boast in his might. If you could be the most well-known person on the planet, but no longer have fellowship with Jesus, would you take that? Or, or, or maybe it's a desire that you've got. Man, if you could just say, if, if all the ladies loved me, 
And I was just the most happening thing. And everywhere I went, they just swooned, right? Or, would you take that if it meant no longer abiding in Jesus? Or can we flip it around for a moment? Nothing reveals what you really value and trust like suffering. Laid at the gate, the fifth dog lick in, would you say, man, I don't know if he can be trusted. I don't know if he can be trusted. Nobody cares. Rich man, he doesn't care. Does it? Can you see that Jesus Christ is the wealthiest of the wealthy who got up from his table to say, partook in the same things, went outside the gate, suffered, spit upon, shamed, crucified, buried, risen. And with all the grace you can fathom in his heart, said, I got a place for you at my table. I'm not giving you crumbs. I'm giving you a feast. Rise up. Stand up. Restored. Sit with me forever. Clean you up. You'll be with me. Christ suffered so that we could sit at his table forever. The only one who can make us ready is the one we most often ignore. Death is inevitable. But those who are united by faith to Christ, death is defeated. So we'll conclude where we started. Death is either the end of any smidge of goodness in your life, or it's the end of any hint of suffering. And it's Christ alone, the righteous one, the wealthy one, if we want to think about it that way, who for our sakes became poor, that through him we might become the righteousness of God. Death is destroyed, death is defeated when the latter is true of you. So you're liberated now, friends. You don't have to boast in the fleeting, passing pleasures of the life. You don't have to pass by the poor man by your gate. You've been freed up. It's all the money's not mine. It's for him. So many applications that we could make from it. But for this morning, we'll conclude with this. You're ready for death when what you love most is Jesus. Because death for you would mean with him forever. So let's stand together and we'll pray together. Have a time of invitation together. I'm going to pray for us with your head bowed and we seek the Lord together. You know, there was, uh, you, you could hear it in the rich man that he'd, 
Oh, man. He'd give anything. He'd give anything to have the opportunity to to come to the Lord. And so on behalf of the other two pastors, Blake, William, and other, plenty of other people in this church, if you're not ready, you want to sit with someone and talk, I, the, the invitation could not be more, or the door could not be any more open. We'd love to do that. Father, I thank you that the sufferings of this present life are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. I think Lazarus from Luke 16 would say amen to that. So, Father, I ask for grace to bear up those in the room that are undergoing adversity, suffering, hardship. God, give them grace not to throw in the towel, not to believe that you're distant, removed, and uncaring. But, but we have a Savior who's crucified. How, how, how could you display to us in a clearer way that you care than the crucifixion of our King, the Lord Jesus? Now, Father, I see here in this passage uh, just such a sober warning that you can know how to be ready without actually being ready. Oftentimes that comes down to a matter of pride. So I pray for us today that pride doesn't hold sway, but the Word of God does. Thank you for Jesus, the one who on the form of a servant became obedient to death even death on a cross our exalted savior thank you for a place at his table when we didn't deserve it thank you for grace in jesus name, amen